and welcome in. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Furry and Smith podcast. The Sun Belt has continued to rise to prominence over the past several seasons. The league's play on the gridiron has left many saying that the Sun Belt boasts the premier group of five conference. Today, we'll be reviewing the state of the conference thanks to a special conversation. But before we do, we wanted to tell you about our in review series. Caden and I have been in the midst of reviewing the seasons of each of the Sun Belt's members. We've reviewed James Madison's historic year, App State's return to prominence in Troy's magical run, plus several others, and we're not done yet. If you've missed one of our conversations, make sure you go back and give it a listen. Today on episode 173 of the show, we're taking a short break from our in-review series, but for a very good reason. Sunbelt Commissioner Keith Gill will join us shortly for a state-of-the-conference style interview where we recap the 2023 football season and discuss the future of the league in this ever-evolving world of college football. Caden, having Commissioner Gill on this podcast is always a reminder to me of what this show has become, and we couldn't have done it without our listeners. The Sun Belt is a league that both of us love and have been excited to see the continued growth of in the recent years. 2023, obviously a banner year for the league, 12 bowl eligible teams more than any conference. We saw numerous Power 5 victories, another year of college game day visiting a Sun Belt school. Honestly, partner, it's been quite the ride covering this league over the last two seasons. No, there's no doubt. And it's definitely great to get to the point where we can get the commissioner's time and talk to him about topics like we got to talk to on this episode and just watch this league continue to grow. It makes me jealous as a former player that I'm not continuing to be in this league as we seem to be getting into kind of this golden age of college football where we're seeing the competition in the Sun Belt and across the nation really rise. We're seeing consistent great play week in and week out. We're seeing teams make bowl games. We're seeing a ton of achievements like college game day and back-to-back seasons. It's just great watching this conference grow, being a part of that growth and getting the access that we have now to talk to Commissioner Gill and talk about the continued growth and evolution of this great league. Yeah, definitely exciting times ahead for the Sunbelt Conference. Well, Sunbelt Commissioner Keith Gill, he's here. Let's not waste any more time. It's time to hear from the Sunbelt's Commissioner. Well, we are excited to be joined by Sunbelt Conference Commissioner Keith Gill here on the Ferry and Smith Podcast. Keith, thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule to join us. Yeah, thanks, Noah. Appreciate you having me. Um, happy New Year to you and Kate. So looking forward to, um, yeah, just our, our time together. So thanks for inviting me. Well, Commissioner, it was another great year for the Sun Belt in football. We saw 12 teams in bowl games, uh, the number that led the FBS. We saw a, re- a repeat champion following Yet another uber competitive year in the conference, another year with a ranked team and a second straight year hosting college game day at a Sunbelt school. What were some of the biggest highlights for you this past football season in the conference? Yeah, you know, I mean, I I guess I'll start at the end and work my way back, right? I mean, having 12 bowl teams was just great. You know, I mean, that really is a great accomplishment. You've got to win a lot of games in the non-conference to put yourself in a position to do that. And so I, I think that really was a microcosm of the great year we had across the board in the Sun Belt that 12 of our teams um, qualified for bowl games. I mean, I think that that's great. I mean, obviously having two teams um, to win double-digit games is great. You know, you think about the year that James Madison had, the year that Troy had, um, I think is, um, yeah, is, is really just amazing. I think having five bowl championship champions is, is, is phenomenal as well. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just think overall it was, a, it was a great year. And I think anytime you host game day, um, I, I think that's pretty tremendous. You know, that really is just an infomercial for the league and for the school that's hosting it. 
And um, so anytime that we can do that, I think that that's a positive thing for the league. So I would just say the number of non-conference wins, the competition we had within our league, and then having 12 full teams, I mean, that just, yeah, that, those are probably my, my highlights of, of, of our success in football this year. Definitely plenty of highlights to choose from, Commissioner. Great to have you as a two-time guest now on the show. And we've had a lot of guests between now and the last time we had you on, and many are saying that the Sun Belt is the premier non-autonomy conference in the country. We agree with that as well. But that also comes with the want and the desire to see the league continue to evolve. So that begs the question, what are the next steps? What does the Sun Belt need to do in order to increase that exposure, increase that revenue and the overall standing with the college football landscape in years to come? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I still think, you know, the one thing that's hanging out there is the New Year's Six, which obviously now that the um, CFP is growing to 12 will change just being accessed in the playoff. We need to be regular um, participants in that. I, I know that we're, we're good enough to do that and, and certainly can. So so I, I really think that that's the next kind of big step for us, um, particularly that exposure and then that opportunity to try to advance in the playoffs. So to me, that's like the number one kind of football goal. You know, I think we need to also, you know, we can't rest on our laurels, but we've got to make sure that we maintain our foundation, which I think is is always a challenge because of where we sit in the ecosystem, right? You know, we've lost, you know, several really good coaches. Um, other teams have um, uh, have hired them away, which I think happens um, when you're doing the things that you want to do. But that does obviously um, creates opportunity, but also creates risk. And we've got to make sure that we can continue to have great coaches um, leading our programs to kind of continue the success that we had, so that we've had. So I, I think those two things are just really, really critical, which is one, you know, we've got to start, we want to be regular participants in the college football playoff. And, um, and I think we're poised to do that. We certainly are set up to do that. And, um, and I'm, I'm excited about our opportunities there. And then we've got to keep our momentum by, you know, continue to hire great coaches, because if we're doing what we're supposed to do, you know, there's a great chance that we're going to lose, you know, two or three good coaches each year. And we just need to be able to continue to replace them so that we don't um, miss a step and, and, and have any drop off in the quality of our football. Commissioner, I know, and to your point, a lot of fans are excited about the expansion of the college football playoff because there's now that pathway for conferences like the Sun Belt to make the cut to get a seat at the table. We've also seen conferences like the SEC and the Big Ten combine and likely further distance themselves from some other conferences. This year, we saw an undefeated Florida State team get left out of the 14 playoff. Do you have any concerns that in the future, a worthy Sunbelt team might miss out on a 12-team playoff? You know, I don't know that I have concerns. It's not something I think about all the time. But the reality is, yeah, that certainly could happen. You know, I mean, it's not like Troy wasn't a worthy um, New Year's Six competitor. Um, um, entry this year, right? And so, but obviously they missed out. So, yeah, yeah, those things are going to happen. I think that that's just sport. Um, but I think the reality is with the quality of our league, with the strength of our league, I think if we have um, teams that have had a lot of success, we're going to be well positioned to do it. So, certainly it's one of those things that happens because, you know, there's only a limit. There's only going to be 12 teams, right? So, the, the, the 13th team is a really good team, right? And they're not going to make it in. So so there are going to be good teams left out. We just want to make sure that we put ourselves in a position to not not be on that on that board and and because that's that's a tough place to be. No, it's definitely exciting to think of the possibility of a Sunbelt team in that 12 team playoff in the in the biggest stage of college football. It's definitely exciting to think. 
about that future, but just thinking about the conference realignment and other changes we're seeing at the top of not just college football, but college athletics as a whole, and just looking at the revenue that's now being generated and distributed. Some are questioning kind of the overall structure of college football. Should it separate from other sports? Should the Power Five and non-autonomy five possibly separate and have their own different playoffs or postseason? We're probably a little far from those conversations actually happening, but what are your openness to concepts like that? And do you forecast any other big picture changes in the FBS future of football? You know, I, I think, well, I, I think a couple things. I, I think one is the program is under a lot of, uh, college athletics under a lot of pressure, right? So we've got to find a, um, we've got to find a model that isn't under such legal pressure. So I, I do think changes are on the horizon. And um, I don't know what exactly those all should be, but but I do know that we need to do something that that keeps us out of potentially you know billion dollar judgments and and, and being um, in lawsuits as much as we are. So, but I, I don't know that football needs to be separate. I mean, I, I think it's hard. You know, baseball is important to us in the Sun Belt. Basketball is important to us in the Sun Belt. So I, I don't know that I want to be saying, you know, I'm going to do these things over here for football and not have the opportunity to do the same things for other student athletes that compete at a high level. So I don't, no one's really explained to me what a football czar would do or what separating football does to allow us to do things that we can't do now. I mean, I I think if folks have ideas, we can implement them now, bring those ideas and, and there's ways to do that. So I'm not huge in terms of separating out the sports. And then obviously I, I, I don't support the A5 separating or FBS separating. I do think um, there's enough space in Division One for all of us. I think this is an ecosystem. We all compete against each other. And, um, and so I don't really think anybody wants the separation. I read about it a lot in the media. I don't really hear it a lot when I talk to my colleagues in the, in the enterprise. And part of that is because it really is an ecosystem. We play against the compete against each other. You need all of us to build schedules um, and to have kind of a robust kind of FBS. And so I'm not one to think some sort of big break is is imminent. You know, I think we work very well together in the CFP. And I'm not one that wants football separate from all the other sports, just because I think if there's something good for football, then that would work for the other sports too. And I just haven't heard any explanations by how moving football helps us in any kind of meaningful way. Well, I think that's a great perspective because obviously in a lot of schools, the revenue that's generated for football helps with some of these other, the Olympic sports, the other sports that you're talking about. And I think that that's important to remain uh, in this college landscape. But Commissioner, there's no denying that the transfer portal has changed college athletics, but we think that the Sun Belt continues to be in an interesting spot with it. We've seen many of the league's top players move on to play for bigger programs after this season, but we've also seen a, a ton of talent infused into the conference because of it. Where do you think the relationship between the transfer portal and the Sun Belt currently stands? You know, I think you summarized it exactly right. You know, um, when I was at Houston in the CFP, you know, I was watching Josiah Stewart play in Michigan, right? Well, he was starting at Coastal last year, you know, and this year he's, he's you know, helping Michigan win a national championship. And so I think when you see that, you know, kind of talent, um, you know, you're just like, oh, man. But, you know, we're getting our share as well, you know, and I – I don't know that I've done all the math to say, you know, it's even or we're down a little or we're up a little. I I don't know. But, you know, I I do think, you know, life generally moves towards an equilibrium. And so I would I suspect as much as the portal hurts us in some instances, it does help us in others. And um, and it's probably a net neutral 
I would say you might say it leans a little towards uneven just because it's harder to manage all the disruption, right? It would be easier just to keep all the talent you have and not get the huge influx that we do get and just manage and grow and work with the talent you have. So it's probably maybe a net negative at the end of the day, but I do think, you know, for every talented, you know, student that we lose, it seems like we pick a talented student. We've had a lot of really good quarterbacks come into the league and um, have had some success. And, um, and so I think it's a mixed bag. I think at the end of the day, you'd like less disruption. So I would, I would err on the side of saying it's not helpful. But I think if you're just doing one-to-one kind of, you know, people going out and people coming in, you know, it, 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 it's, it's probably close to neutral would be my guess. Yeah, I mean, you can just look at the all-conference list and see it's littered with players that have transferred into the conference. That Newcomer of the Year award's probably getting more and more competitive now in the conference with the transfer portal. So definitely cool to watch that kind of evolve with the Sumbo. But you mentioned some of that disruption, and I think now more than ever, the month of December is kind of one of, that, one of those more disruptive months for head coaches and just college football in general, trying to juggle coaching turnover, playing turnover with the transfer portal opening up in that window in the December um, winter window, having early signing day as well. And then all these coaches, most of them are trying to prepare for bowl games too. Whether it's that time period or another, do you see any changes or would like to see any for the college football calendar moving forward? Yeah, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I, I think trying to maybe move the early signing period may make some sense um, and, and make it even earlier um, and, and kind of have a little more separation between the opening of the portal um, and when early signing period happens, right? And I think if you did that, depending on how early, it would put a little more emphasis on kind of pre-college recruitment rather than transfer recruitment. And you'd have to kind of in some ways establish your kind of um, pre-college class before your transfer class. And so it could actually slow down the number of transfers just because you'd have to make a determination about how many high school um, kids you're going to kind of sign. And that's going to determine how many opportunities you have for transfers. So I think um, I think moving the portal earlier, I think, would be helpful. I certainly have heard a lot of um, the comments from coaches um, about the portal when it opens for the sport of football. And the real issue with that is the semester. You know, I mean, obviously you like to move it back, but, you know, then you don't give um, the football students a time, a, a chance to enroll for the spring. And so, you know, so as soon as you do that, then you've kind of um, really hamstring their ability to move and prepare themselves in a way that allows them to play for a fall. So I think that one is, is trickier. You know, I think people, I, I feel like I heard the comments, you know, during the last um, bowl cycle as though that's some sort of easy fix. And I guess it is easy. Fundamentally, we know what the issue is, right? You know, we've got bowls happening at this point and the transfer portals happening right, you know, adjacent to it. And that's a problem. But if the transfer portal doesn't open, then, you got issues with trying to get people eligible for the spring um, so they can participate and be prepared to play on that new school in the fall. So I think that one's a little trickier um, and I'm trying to figure out in terms of, of doing it um, creates the problem. But I do think trying to make some adjustments in the pre-college um, space could slow down some of the transfers, give more opportunities to some of the high school kids and, um, and just manage recruiting in a little bit of a different way. Hey, there's definitely no denying that the uh, the college football schedule, it feels year-round uh, at this point. So there's definitely some unique challenges that that poses. But 
The Sunbelt's TV deal, Commissioner, is perhaps the most talked about topic by fans of this conference, so we wanted to ask you about it. Based on publicly available numbers, the league's TV revenue trails behind several peer conferences like the American, like the Mountain West, uh, by several multiples. The Sunbelt's current deal with ESPN runs through 2031. Given kind of the league's success on the football field, what efforts are being made to kind of close the revenue gap? And do you foresee the league trying to renegotiate that deal with ESPN ahead of 2031? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I would I would, I would, would say that, you know, the way that you kind of characterize the deal is not really the way we think about it, right? I think we feel good about where we are. Um, you know, when I first got here, we had nine games on linear. We had 30 games on linear this past year. Um, so we continue to grow and evolve um, with ESPN and feel really good about where we are. That being said, we're always in conversations with them to see how we can do better. You know, we've renegotiated our deal really, I think, two or three times um, since I've been here um, in ways that have been really positive for the Sun Belt, and we'll certainly keep looking for those opportunities as well. But ESPN has been a great partner. You know, I mean, our growth is, um, is synonymous with their partnership, and they've given us a great platform to kind of tell our story and we feel um, really good about it. So, you know, I mean, I, I think we feel good about our position to to um, compete. We feel really good about where we are with our media partner and our and our media deal. Like I said, like with everything we do, we'll always look to see if we can get um, better and um, and continue to, and continue to improve, which we have done. And they and ESPN's been a great supporter and, and a great help um, in in those efforts. Definitely some good insight there, sticking on revenue. And this is a topic you talked about in the second question when talking about the, the next steps for this conference. There's now real evidence that this league continues to lose some of their best head coaches. Just in the last three years, we've seen 50% of the league's head coaching positions turn over. And more recently, coaches like Jamie Chadwell and John Summerall are departing for higher paying jobs with fellow non-autonomy five programs. You mentioned that this is a priority moving forward for the league, but what does that plan look like? What do the steps look like as far as seeing some change in that department with head coach salaries moving forward? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think those are institutional decisions, and I, and I don't know that it's always it's always going to be change, you know? I mean, at the, at the end of the day, if um, the University of Florida wants to hire a Sunbelt coach, I don't, I, I just don't know that that, that, is, that is something that you're going to be able to um, successfully um fend off if it really is a dollar to dollar um, issue, you know, I mean, it's just, and that's just life, you know? And, and so I think the thing that we need to do is continue to hire coaches that make sure our programs are better um, when they leave than when they came. And as long as we continue to do that, we will be well positioned and we'll be well positioned, obviously, if those coaches stay, because um, that's a good thing. And that's a positive thing. I don't think those things are fate or complete. Um, and, but at the end of the day, I do think that, you know, people move for a lot of different opportunities, whether it's more money, family, visibility, um, region, part of the country. And so I don't know that there's a way that, uh, you know, I think one of the, one of the things that I was talking to someone the other day and, um, about hiring and they're like, yeah, this person though, I don't know if they're going to stay. Well, I don't, I wouldn't sit around and worry about it. You know, you can't predict the future. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, you hire the best people you can. You do the best you can to keep them for as long as you can. You make sure that you support them in a way that helps you grow. And then you see what happens. And um, and if they happen to leave, you know, really, in some ways, to me, their responsibility was to make sure that the program was better um, when they left than when they came. So that way you could hire someone in theory that might have that might have had better credentials um, than they did. 
you know, um, at the end of the day, you know, John Summerall wasn't John Summerall when he got there. You know, the guy that left wasn't the guy that came. And, and I think that people always think about it. They don't understand how the people, how people evolve and kind of grow into these positions. So I don't know that we need some sort of huge plan. I, I think our plan is to keep doing what we do, which is invest in football and want to be great in football. And if we do that, good things will happen to us. And I don't know that good things means every coach that come here, comes here, we keep. That's just not realistic, you know? And, and, I, and I think that if people have those expectations, I just, I'm not sure those are the right expectations. I think the right expectations are we hire people who make sure they leave the program better than where it was. And, um, and we certainly try to keep them for as long, as long as they, as long as we can. Well, and to your point, we have seen some just fantastic hires over the last couple of cycles and even uh, a GJ Kinney, a Tim Beck coming in and, and taking those programs to, to bull victories this year. I think that speaks to your point, but, when we spoke last offseason, part of our discussion centered around NIL. You spoke about the future of it being bright in the Sun Belt. You also expressed a desire to see more national rules and consistency, something that, honestly, we're all still waiting to see come to fruition. We have another year under our belt uh, when it comes to NIL. Where have you seen the NIL space grow within this conference based on your conversations with the league's coaches and administrators? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think that um, I, I think it's – you see more kind of activity, you know, in the space, whether it's around kind of individual kind of student athletes. I, I think the reality, though, is we're no different than most most places in terms of, you know, the top folks um, have more access. I think when you think about it in terms of football, but maybe some of the other sports, you would love to see, you know, some more growth. So I think it's really an emerging kind of thing. I think part of it is folks figuring out and trying to educate them in terms of how do you grow your brand, you know, and, and how do you go about, you know, securing deals in, in that regard? Because, you know, the collectives only go so far um, in terms of trying to do that. I think on, from a national standpoint, I think we've seen some progress. It'll be interesting to see how some of these new NCA rules play out in terms of some of the disclosure um, that's coming in that regard. If we can get kind of a uniform contract, just to make sure people aren't signing bad deals and then to see what kind of movement there will be in the house. So um, there'll be a hearing next week um, for the subcommittee that is responsible for these matters. And we'll see where that goes. I think Charlie Baker has done a good thing, but, you know, I do think it's going to continue to be hard um, to have a, a cohesive strategy when you just have so you don't have transparency. You have so much variability from state to state in terms of what you can do in that regard. And then I think there's just so much movement in the transfer space. You know, I do. I don't know that you'll ever feel comfortable with it if all those things are still allowed to be kind of unregulated. There has to be some regulation so that you can have a better strategy that you can apply and you can kind of continue to grow because. Right now, it really is the wild, wild west. You know, people are throwing out numbers that you can't verify. You don't know what the market is. You don't know who's telling the truth and who's not. You're a student athlete. You don't know what you're signing. And you could be signing away rights for years beyond when your eligibility is up. And so I, I do think the market as it currently sits right now is not um, is not a positive is not a positive market. And some regulation has to come. Um, I think we have some movement, but. Um, we certainly need to see a little bit more to to feel comfortable, I think, in the NIL space. 
Hey everyone, we're interrupting today's show to tell you about our recently released Prairie and Smith podcast newsletter. Subscribers will receive weekly emails when new episodes release, as well as information about the top Sunbelt football storylines that week. You can subscribe today using the link in the show notes of this episode or by clicking the link in our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter bios. It's the best way to keep up with the Sunbelt football and the Prairie and Smith podcast. Now let's get back to the rest of today's episode. No, there's no question about that. It's definitely been fun watching Sunbelt athletes, not just football student athletes, but all student athletes capitalize and take advantage of NIL, but definitely looking for more rules, regulations, and guidelines to help, especially with recruiting as well. Another popular topic that a lot of our listeners are interested in was division play, just the concept of divisions. Nine of the 10 FBS conferences no longer utilize divisions. The Sunbelt is the only conference that still uses them. There was a poll we ran recently on social media, and there's an overwhelming people from the league that are league fans that want to see the divisions stay in place. Could you maybe explain why divisions are so important and what you would say to a crowd of people that want to see the two best teams in the conference play as opposed to the division winners that we see now with this current format under the Sun Belt? Yeah, you know, I think divisions are really important. One, that's how we built the league, right? We really built it on regional rivalries, um, playing games that matter to fans in their locale. And so I think to, to go away from that is, is problematic. So I think that's one reason. And then I think if, if that's your premise, because you can, in theory, go away from divisions and just schedule in divisions, right? But then you have a balance issue and a fairness issue, because now you've got people playing a whole division. And if that division, in theory, is stronger than the other division, they may not have representation. And you may not have the two best teams. You might have the two teams with the best record. Um, but you may not have the two best teams um, playing in that regard. That's why, you know, in terms of fairness and in terms of what we're trying to do for the league from a brand standpoint, divisions are really important. And then the other thing that I would say is the reason that a lot of the other conferences, particularly the A5 conferences, have gone away from divisions is because they're going to have multiple teams potentially eligible for the college football playoffs. I think in that scenario, you know, having your two best teams is really important to play because you don't want one of those teams bumped out because they they didn't get a chance to compete for a conference champion. And you want to make sure in some ways your strongest team is the team that potentially gets the buy. The reality, and I don't say this to put a ceiling on us because, you know, maybe we'll have multiple teams in the um, in the CFP. However, I think it would be short sighted of, of us to make choices to restructure the way we do our championships based on something that really is only really helpful for teams that are going to have two, three, four teams in the CFP. If you're, if you're probably only going to get one team in the CFP, then the way that we're doing it um, works really well and doesn't hold teams up versus, you know, if you're going to have multiple teams, then that second team that's getting left out, of the championship may not have a path to the CFP. And that's why you would do that. So I just think that as we do our analysis, um, we think that this is going to serve us better in the long run. And we certainly think that any kind of adverse impacts of having divisions um, will, will really um, rear their ugly heads less than the benefits of having divisions will, um, will, will kind of come to fruition for us. 
Well, it certainly seems like fans, they love the divisions from the standpoint of the proximity of travel. And I know that that was part of the changes to the conference, bringing in those new members in years past. It seems to be paying off. Commissioner, in a similar vein, many fans were disappointed that Troy wasn't more strongly considered for a spot in that New Year's Six Bowl game this past year, despite winning what many have called the premier non-autonomy conference. Um, What efforts did the league make to help sell Troy's case for inclusion into that CFP selection committee? You know, the reality is we're always talking to the CFP, right? So we have regular conversations with members of the selection committee. Um, you know, we use kind of our analytics toolkit to provide um, that information to the college football playoff. So um, so I would say we made every effort, you know, um, and, and, and certainly try to make sure they understood, you know, where Troy kind of fit. And, um, and, and, and how that worked and, and the strength of their schedule and the strength of their wins. And, um, and, you know, so, so I, I would, I would argue that, um, you know, we made every effort. We made a lot of, a lot of strong efforts in, in, in that regard. And, um, unfortunately, um, it didn't, um, yeah, it didn't carry the day. Um, and I, and I think, you know, I, I certainly think that was a mistake. I, I think I would, um, have, have certainly thought that. You know, with our strength of schedule, um, that would have that would have been, you know, a really compelling factor in that regard. So the selection committee obviously thought a little different, and um, and that was unfortunate. You know, I think that was unfortunate for Troy because they they did have a tremendous year, and the great thing is they did have a chance to play in a Premier Bowl um, against an A five opponent. So um, so I think you know they certainly had you know great rewards, but. Being in that New Year's Six is something I, I would argue that they, they certainly deserve, and we are all disappointed that they didn't have the opportunity to do that. We definitely agree with you on this podcast. We were on the front lines wanting Troy to be in that game and be the representative, but it's hard to talk about Troy and not talk about conference championship games. They won the last two, and it's something I've thought about a lot, and it's a lot of, a common question for our listeners as well as talking about a neutral site potentially for the conference championship game. Most FBS championship games are played at neutral sites, not the Sun, but I remember as a former player, having and hosting those games were amazing, and having that access to your college town right after winning a championship is great. Not so much when you're leaving a town with a, a loss in a championship game at, at another team's home field, but is a neutral site championship something in a more centralized location that this conference would consider or pursue going forward, just considering the expanded footprint we have now? Yeah, you know, I, I well, I, I would never say never. So I, I would never say we would never pursue it, but that's not really under consideration right now. You know, I mean, I, I think the way that we manage a football championship makes the most sense for who we are and this point in history um, for our conference. And, um, and I really don't see a need to change, you know, and, and, and so I just think that it's a, it's nice um, um, perk um, for the team that has the best record um, to get to host that game. I think it helps us kind of with, um, with fan support. I think it's hard kind of mobilizing your fans to figure, figure it all out on a week's notice or even less than that, depending on when you figure out you're in the game. And so I, I just think for where we are right now as a league, you know, the approach that we have right now makes the most sense. Obviously, if there's if there's some change in that, I mean, I, I'm, I don't consider myself obtuse. You know, I, I certainly have no problem changing and, um, and uh, doing things in a different way. But I, I certainly think right now hosting it at one of the um, home sites for one of our schools is a nice benefit for those schools for a great regular season. And I think it makes the most sense for us to have 
um, the best championship that we can. Well, and there's certainly no denying it has been an advantage. The home team has won every single game in championship history. But just a couple more questions here. We'll get you on your way. But Kane and I are excited to get a look at that 2024 schedule that's going to come out just over a month from now. It's probably too late this year, but many fans, you know, have talked about the idea of a rivalry week, maybe establishing it. Think James Madison, Old Dominion, App State, Georgia Southern, South Alabama, and Troy, maybe on the same weekend. Would the league ever consider such a weekend, maybe in November? And what might be some of the factors that would make that challenging? Yeah, you know, I think we talk about that all the time. So, I mean, I, so to answer your first question, yes, I think the league considers that. I think the reality is that's not always the best kind of positioning for schools. And sometimes schools would rather have um, a big game like that in October um, when they know there are going to be people there. You know, I think sometimes Thanksgiving, you know, it can be hit or miss whether or not people think they can have good home crowds. So I, I think there are a lot of factors about like that that kind of go into it. So I think we have those conversations all the time. I think we are open to, you know, what schools um, would want kind of in that space. and. Obviously, you know, the last two years we've had App and Georgia Southern kind of on that last weekend of the year. And uh, that certainly worked. And we moved that game around, um, you know, because it was on a Thursday night. I want to say my first year in the league. Um, so so it, it does kind of depend. So I would say, yes, we're open to it. I, I do think it's complicated because I don't know that every school wants their best games on Thanksgiving. Um, and, and so I, I just think we try to accommodate, you know, what schools think they can do relative to building their fan base and their crowds. Um, and there's a TV component um, in terms of that, which is, you know, you spread some of those games out across your schedule uh, rather than aggregate them all in the same week um, for, you know, kind of TV purposes as well. So I just think there's a lot of factors that go into it where that can't be the sole factor. And, um, and that's why you find that it happens sometimes, but not in others. Um, just because I think those other factors sometimes can carry the day and move those games into a spot that might be uh, more advantageous for the school, more advantageous for TV, or more advantageous for the schedule, just because, um, you know, one game over here infects games over there. And so sometimes you can't um, align all those games in the way that you might because um, it impacts, you know, it has downstream consequences to win other games are played. So what I would say is I would say we talk about it all the time, but it really is complicated. And, um, and the schedule's based on a lot of different factors. And, and sometimes those factors um, are more compelling and, and move the game into a place that is maybe different than the end of the season. Well, Commissioner, it's time for the hard-hitting question of the show. It's become a staple question for our program. We've asked most of our guests what their favorite restaurants are at various Sunbelt schools, and then it dawned on us that you're the perfect person to ask this question because you've traveled to all of these Sunbelt towns, each and every one. Which restaurants or food experiences around the conference maybe stand out to you when you look back at your travels across the conference? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. You know, and so I'm trying to remember. I, um, you know, usually when I'm at App... You know, I'll eat at um, Peppers pretty much every time. Um, now, partly that's because downtown is usually so crowded. And, um, and and so and that's pretty good. So I eat there and, um, and certainly enjoy it. I bounce around a lot, though. I try like different places. That's probably the one place where I probably go to almost the same place every time. So so I guess I got to I, I choose that one. I'm trying to think here or where else. But everywhere else, I kind of bounce around a little bit. So. I keep a list of my phone. I'll pull my phone out here. That is Sunbelt's 
Um, Sunbelt Eats. This is what we were hoping for. Yeah, yeah this sounds like so, a potential series. <laughs> yeah, and so just going going through the kind of Sunbelt Eats list. Yeah, so I've got like a bunch of restaurants. So like in Monroe, yeah, I've eaten at the Waterfront Grill a couple times, you know, when I've been in Monroe. Um, Crescent City Grill in Hattiesburg. The Midtowner I eat at a fair amount in Hattiesburg. Um, and Boone, I eat Lost Province Brewing Company. We always get cookies from Appalachian Excellent. Company. company. Um, so, but I, but I go to Peppers a lot when I'm in, um, when I'm there. Um, let's think here. Crooked Oak Tavern in Myrtle Beach, Rivertown Bistro in Myrtle Beach. And I think those are, I think those are both in Conway actually, but you know, kind of Myrtle Beach. So yeah, I've got, yeah, I've got a list that I keep on my phone. I add to it. I'm always talking to people. Um, cause I really do like food. Unfortunately, I could probably lose a few pounds. So, uh, probably too much. And, um, yeah, and in Alabama, yeah, I've got the Conecuh Sausage ex- Exit on Evergreen. So I stopped there. So, so yeah, I've got a whole list here. So next time we're together, I'll have to share it with you. Yeah. It sounds like, uh, in future years on a future episode, we might have to do a food tour around the Sun Belt. Uh, Commissioner, we're going to end with this. Uh, college football continues to rapidly evolve in arguably in good and bad ways uh, due to the multitude of recent changes, yet the Sun Belt continues to trend upwards. Given those changes and everything we've talked about, where do you see this conference, specifically football, being in the next five to ten years? Yeah, you know, I think really in a good spot. You know, I would say the one, the one thing I would say that's non-football related is if you look at our year this year, We've been a multi-bid NCAA championship um, um, conference in every team sport. You know, so we had multiple bids in women's soccer. We had two women's soccer. We had five men's soccer. We had four volleyball. And we had 12 bowl teams. So we are good across the board. If you go all the way back, you know, then we had two softball teams. One made super regional. We have four baseball teams and in the super regional as well. So so I, I really do think we want to be good at everything, you know, and, and we're, we're focused on getting better at basketball. That's a really important focus for us and something that we need to continue to get better on, better at. But, you know, we're, we're pretty good at every sport. I really think the New Year's Six, reg, the regular New Year's Six piece is key for us um, in football. That will help keep us where we want to be, keep us in that conversation, keep us in the upper echelon, give us the opportunity to compete against you know, the top teams um, in the country on a regular basis. I think that is, um, that's really important. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you're only as good as your people and we need to have great coaches and good student athletes. So we got to continue to have good coaches leading our programs and recruit great students and, um, and invest in ways that allow us to do that. So if we keep doing those things, you know, I think we'll continue on our trajectory and the future will um, continue to be bright. Um, for the conference. Well, we certainly appreciate your time today and kind of the insightfulness of some of the answers to these questions. So thank you so much for uh, taking some time to come on the Prairie and Smith podcast again. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Okay, and I got to admit, one of my favorite takeaways from that entire interview was the food recommendations. You and I are both, you know, well-known foodies. We love asking that question. That was absolute gold. They are right out of the smartphone of Keith Gill. Solid gold from Keith Gill. I have to give a shout out to him for shouting out Peppers and some of the other great institutions and restaurants that are in Boone, North Carolina. I co-sign all of his selections and I would definitely do some things to get access to that list. We might have to find a way to market that and capitalize on that. Maybe have a, a guide that he puts out Keith Gill's picks 
if you're going around to restaurants across the Sun Belt, maybe do a little vlog, something like that. I think there's definitely potential with Coach or Commissioner Gill, rather, and his, his, his robust list, it seems like, of the top dining destinations in the Sun Belt. Well, and maybe some sponsorship opportunities here for the Fran Smith Podcast. We are always willing to come and review your restaurants uh, in Sunbelt Town. So hit us up on uh, on Twitter or anywhere else you can find us. But, Caden, another huge takeaway for me, and we have spent so much time over the last two years just talking about how college football is changing from before our eyes. It really has drastically changed over the last couple of years with conference realignment, the transfer portal, NIL, and you really named the topic. I came away, though, after that conversation, feeling like the Sun Belt's in really good hands uh, in this ever-evolving world of this sport. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no question that the sport and college athletics as a whole are evolving. And I think if you're looking at the group of five conferences compared to the Power Five conferences, the top dogs, there are questions and concerns, not about just football, but beyond. And I think we asked a lot of those questions. We got to hear Commissioner Gill's insight. And I think our takeaways are, are just simply that we are in good hands. There might be reasons to panic at times, it seems like, as a fan or as an observer, when you look at the trajectory of college athletics. But I think Keith Gill did a great job of putting it into perspective, making it kind of kind of reassuring Sunbelt fans of any of their concerns. I feel like he definitely did a good job of that and giving us that insight that makes this 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 kind of conference look like it's in a good spot moving forward. When you look at NIL, when you look at the transfer portal, when you look at the expanded playoff, there is a conversation to be had about the Sunbelt and all of those conversations about those topics as well. So I think the Sunbelt's in a good spot. I think it's in good hands. And I think Coach Gill definitely did a great job of mapping out where this conference kind of sits as far as how it's going to look like in the future as this sport continues to grow and evolve in a lot of different ways. Well, Caden, I think the other thing that was most interesting to me, and uh, you know, we still don't know the the date that NCAA football 2024 is going to drop, but when you go on Twitter, a lot of fans love to play commissioner of this sport, and you know, you see a lot of ideas. We've thrown out ideas of how things could be changed in the Sun Belt. It was really interesting to kind of hear some of the the deeper insight, the nuances to decision-making and why some things are the way that they are in the Sun Belt currently. Yeah, we're seeing some seismic shifts in the sport, in the sport and I think it just gives a lot of fans and observers kind of a, 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 an opportunity when they're having conversations, whether it's on TV amongst their friends, to kind of play the, the czar of college football or college athletics as a whole and say, oh, if I was in charge, these are the decisions I would make. I would I would get rid of divisions. I would do this, that, and the other. And I think actually talking to Commissioner Gill about what the process looks like to getting to those decisions, people think they, they want divisions. They want certain things from the college football playoff. They want certain things from the and the transfer portal and all of that stuff, the head coaches, all the different topics we talked about. It's very easy to sit back and say, hey, if I was in charge, we could we could do these things. This is what I would do. But then talking to someone who actually makes those decisions and is in charge, it was cool hearing his perspective about how the process looks to getting to those decisions, what factors are, are weighed in and not weighed in and accounted for. And I think it definitely gives some good perspective for listeners that, hey, this might be what your ideal version of college football or college athletics looks like. But there's a lot that happens between getting to that point. And I think Commissioner Gill and everyone else that's surrounding the sport is definitely doing their part in terms of trying to make this game be sustainable in the future and not have any problems going forward and make it something that we all can continue to enjoy, kind of digest and, and ingest and just have a have a great time and a great feeling about as far as rallying around college football and college athletics as a whole. Yeah, and college football, Caden, is ultimately something that you and I both love, our listeners love, and, and fans of the sport love, and that's what we want to see protected moving into the future. The Sun Belt certainly in good hands with Commissioner Gill at the helm. Well, 
That'll do it for our State of the Conference conversation with Sunbelt Commissioner Keith Gill. Again, we'd like to say a special thank you to Commissioner Gill as well as Senior Associate Commissioner Sam Nehans for making today's conversation possible. Before you go, don't forget, we're going to be back on Wednesday. We'll get back to our in-review series focusing on the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers and Arkansas State Red Wolves. Voices of the Shaunch, Joe Cashin, as well as the Red Wolves, Matt Stoltz. They're going to join us and review those years. You're going to want to tune in. That'll do it for us here at the Frarian Smith Podcast. Before you go, here's one thing you can do. Tell a friend about the Frarian Smith Podcast. Help us continue to grow this show into the premier destination for Sunbelt football fans. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Frary. We really appreciate you spending more time with us again today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday. <laughs>